We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The names behind the numbers. The stories behind the names. This is the Her Hoop Stats Podcast with John Little. Being hit with tear gas, uh, really being able, like difficult to breathe because of the smoke that's in the air, but still trying to do that job as safely as possible and listening to what people are saying. The biggest newsmakers, the best storytellers, the Her Hoop Stats Podcast. Here's your host, John Little. Happy Monday. Welcome into the Her Hoop Stats Podcast. I am your host, John Little. So good to have you along for another week. Uh, sorry I was out last week, got sick, but I am unsick now and ready to bring you a podcast. Great chat with Sloan Martin. It is a beautiful morning here in DFW. I say beautiful. I like rain. We've got a big old complex of rain coming in, so it's going to be a rainy day. Hopefully it's beautiful wherever you are. Hey, quick reminder, rate and review the podcast. If you wouldn't mind, subscribe first and then rate and review the podcast, especially on Apple Podcast when you leave a review, an honest one. Even if you don't like everything going on with the podcast, just, you know, give us that honest few words. Um, that really helps other people find the show, get some feedback on what it's all about and drive more people to the show. And we've been seeing some great listenership uh, along the way. And it helps out our other shows during the week as well, like the Unplugged podcast uh, that Megan Gower hosts or the Courtside podcast with Christy and Gabe, which has been getting such rave reviews. Really proud of them for putting that stuff out every week. Appreciate their efforts. And uh, I know I appreciate you listening as well. Well, it's time to talk to Sloan Martin now. Sloan is not just a sportscaster, not just a broadcaster for the Minnesota Lynx, um, both formerly on radio and now on the television side of things. She is an amazing pro when it comes to newscasting. I wish... I could. I think you'll be able to hear it in your in her voice and how she responds to questions. Uh, but I wish 
you know, I could like uh, forward you her demo reel on the news side of things because I think she's just uber talented there as well. Uh, just an extremely talented person who has been able to use her talents this past year to explain what's gone on in Minneapolis. So, of course, we talk about the links during this, but also uh, we talk about what she has gone through as a newscaster, as a news reporter in the last year in Minneapolis, the challenges of that, how she's tried to tell that story. Um, I've used her as a resource with my day job as a newscaster in Dallas. And so I'm just so appreciative of this person. I think she's brilliant. I think she's awesome. Um, just one of the most uh, bright uh, stars out there when it comes to the combination sportscasting, newscasting, which uh, I'm trying to be really good at. So I'm pretty much in awe of how good she is. Please enjoy this conversation with Sloan Martin. Yeah, thanks for the invitation. Absolutely. Uh, always great to have you on. And uh, let's just start with uh, the links, shall we? And yeah, it's been a rough start to the season. Um, honestly, I coming into the year yeah i i I like their additions coming in and i like uh you know what they've already got with the the rookie of the year in the league and nafisa collier people are talking about mvp and of course uh sylvia fowles who you know is the old standby inside but it didn't really translate through the early part uh, of the season why do you think that might have been well there really were a lot of parts to try and integrate first of all you didn't have Nafisa Collier that 2019 rookie of the year second team all WNBA for the first three games as she was wrapping up her season in France and then had to go through the WNBA's health and safety protocols and then you have two really big pieces in particular that you're trying to fit in and kind of mold and quickly gel I think one of the biggest things with the WNBA is with how short the training camp is how short short the season is and all those different factors teams are dealing with with players playing overseas dealing with those nagging injuries because of their year-round commitment and the toll on their body is really trying to hit the ground running and get off to a quick start as best as possible and they were trying to do that with new starters in aerial powers who they um, were able to sign in the offseason as a free agent and also with Kayla McBride as well so trying to feel that out what does that mean for Sylvia Fowles what does that mean for Demiris Dantes and Crystal Dangerfield, kind of these remaining players uh, and how they put a team out onto the floor. What's that lineup going to look like, that offense going to look like? And if you remember, too, uh, Kayla McBride was very late. Uh, she was able to play in the opening game against Phoenix, but she was pretty much had only uh, very minimal time with the team to get acclimated and was pretty much just put into the starting lineup. They only learned that day that she was going to be available to play. So that has happened with both uh, Kayla McBride and then also most recently, Lasia Clarendon, who they picked up after she was cut by the New York Liberty. So there's been a lot of pieces that they've had to mix together and gel together. But you're right. It certainly does look strange when you see they're now one in four, but at, at one point had been 0 in four for the first time since 2007. If you think about that, I mean, Maya Moore is just graduating high school at that time is how long ago that was. So you're right. It is strange to see them lower in the standings at this point. And that is why that win over Connecticut was so huge because 0-5, I mean, that's a really huge hole to climb out of in a a short season. And how do you think, you know, just with the way that game ended in overtime, Leisha Clarendon stepping up and and hitting a a big shot uh, late in that one as well, how do you think that can be kind of a rallying point? 
Well, Lasia Clarendon was such a huge pickup, I think, because Crystal Dangerfield had been getting off to a little bit of a slow start. She was the leading scorer on this team a year ago in the wobble in Florida, the 2020 Rookie of the Year, the lowest draft pick to be selected as Rookie of the Year. Just a fantastic season, and you can see this confidence with the way she wanted the ball, wanted to share it, and really did want it in big moments, and knew that there was going to have to be a transition this year. More players are coming back who didn't play in the wobble she's always going to have uh you know some difficulties with certain teams and matchups i know head coach cheryl reef has talked about crystal wanting to or she wanting crystal to improve her defense her passing and her rebounding that's quite a long list to be able to uh you know really improve off of that rookie of the year season but when you bring in clarendon first of all she had uh also not had any kind of practice time with the minnesota lynx uh uh, they came in, had shoot-around, and Reeve also said after the game that Lasia definitely had no idea what was going on. And, of course, things worked out with them coming back to win in overtime after being down by 12 points against the Sun. And with Lasia, you're getting someone who has that veteran experience. They were able to come into the game and have an impact just because they knew how to play, to get things going, to make difficult plays as well. And I think that's what really worked with having Lasia on the floor. So we will see what happens once Ariel Powers is healthy enough to come back. She's dealing with a hamstring injury. We don't know what her timeline is right now, but uh, it's going to be a lot better uh, just because Lasia is now going to have more time to actually practice with the team. So the Lynx have had a lot of difficulties with that, with a lot of different moving pieces and, and players coming in and out. As we move forward here, I feel like, and you kind of early on, alluded to all the troubles with you know just forming a team and getting them to bond and getting them to gel together that everybody's going to go through this season because not only is it early in the season you know you have to deal with uh, players that have uh, commitments to their overseas teams plus several three-on-three players have been absent from teams all over the league and then you know, while there is an Olympic break, you're still going to have a break there and an all-star game. And it may just come down to the wire. A team that even barely gets into the playoffs could make some noise at the end if they're playing well at that time. We may have to wait till September to really understand who the best teams in this league are. Yeah, it's going to be interesting because we don't know how that break is going to affect teams. We don't know how teams who have Olympians on them, including the Minnesota Lynx with Sylvia Fowles and we presume Nafisa Collier, um, are going to handle that as well. Is that time off when you're missing that? That, that key of players going to be really helpful or is it not? So I think you're right that there certainly are teams that I think are standing out right now, even like the surprise New York Liberty, the Atlanta Dream have won, won four in a row. And of course, you can't forget about the Aces and the Storm as well, who met in last year's finals. But it really is such a unique kind of season coming off of an already unique season with them playing in the Wubble. And I think you're right that, I mean, the season is going to be going into mid-September, even the regular season. So you have a couple fewer, a couple fewer games, I believe, as opposed to the uh, the 38-game season. But we um, have teams who have different numbers of Olympians, international Olympians as well, that really could impact things and how these teams finally look when they come back around mid-August. 
If you can just make it to the tournament, you've got an opportunity. We're visiting with Sloan Martin of the Minnesota Lynx. And Sloan, your role this season has has changed with Minnesota. Obviously, um, I applaud the Lynx for so long having a traveling radio broadcast, not only home but away as well. Uh, you've said that's not something that's going to be happening going forward, at least here uh, with Minnesota. But what is your role going to be uh, kind of going forward this season uh, with the Lynx? Obviously, we saw you on a, a game early on. Yeah, thanks, John. I think that you and I both appreciate uh, the role of radio and sports. And uh, yeah, we were, yes, of course, uh, we, of course, we were uh, the last uh, traveling radio broadcast in the WNBA, but you can still hear me on uh, nationally telecast games. So that's going to be your CBS Sports Network. That was the season opener, NBA TV, Twitter and Facebook. I know sometimes, at least for me as a WNBA fan, it feels like a little bit of an errand to try and figure out. I, I like that the games are so accessible and really on national platforms but sometimes it does feel like an errand to make sure you're finding the right game in the right place so that's kind of what uh it is right now but um very much looking forward to the rest of the season and still being around the team there are so many uh just really great stories to tell as the minnesota Lynx try to make the playoffs for the 11th straight year you know this is a team that has not rebuilt from 2018 and not having Maya Moore on the team anymore. It's really just been trying to reload to get back to that point, making it to the WNBA semifinals last year in the Wubble. So a lot of a lot of interesting things to watch with this team, but you can still catch me on those uh, those national platforms. At least initially, we had kind of seen you in a, in a solo type role. I don't know if that's going to continue, but I, I know at least for me, radio solo is... That's a breeze, but, you know, more of a TV solo type deal, which I know for people who have never done it before, uh, they they might think that's counterintuitive. But TV solo is a little bit more difficult. So what are you trying to do there uh, with a solo television broadcast when that is the role for you? Yeah, it's interesting, John. And again, I appreciate this from one broadcaster to another, which I am actually going to have a partner. And I am told that there was no fault of my own. I felt like I really held my own well, because usually the links would just kind of feed in that radio feed into those national telecasts. And now they're trying to put a little bit more into those. So I'm really excited about that. But yes, uh, definitely, if there's any aspiring broadcasters out there, be prepared because you never know like I did in the Lynx season opener against Phoenix when you might have a 10 plus minute delay and you're by yourself and you need that time to fill there's no breaks no oh one my. to help you out uh, <laughs> no one to have your back and uh, that's what ended up happening in that season opener because if you remember the clock stopped Diana Taurasi hit what was eventually the game winning three it counted had to determine with the stopwatch how much time was left on the clock you see something new every day and that's why we do what we do uh, so yes I am going to have a partner from here on out but you're right with radio you are filling so much more space because there is more you need to inform the audience about when you're on tv there's not any reason to be breathlessly saying where the ball is on the floor because obviously people can see it and that's something that i like too is just letting it breathe a little bit filling with that ambient noise i know that i want to hear a broadcast where there are kind of measured breaks and pauses so it's not just consistent talking the whole time and then especially working with myself it becomes just kind of a monologue and I think you want to uh, 
uh, avoid that a little bit. So finding those times to find a pause and a break. Um, but you're right. Uh, it definitely is a little bit different. Have to switch the hats a bit going from uh, radio to television. But um, I think they both kind of have their positives and uh, different parts that are fun about each one. Uh, but of course, I, I mean, you've got a long history in uh, on the television side. So, it, it, you know, Big Ten Network right now and, and yeah. so many things in the in the background. So, uh, you know, you know what you're doing as far as that goes. I, I just have you ever thought about like throwing your voice, like having a play by play voice? And then, you know, you step in with the color announcer's voice, who's a little bit more excitable, you know, maybe an ex-jock, that sort of thing. Have you ever thought about that? I don't know. Maybe just doing one game like that. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's possible. I mean, it is definitely fun. You prefer it a lot more to work with someone who's like more energetic and more kind of excited as opposed to feeling like you have to like pull that out of them. But yeah, that's an idea. Yeah, yeah, you could you could do both roles. So uh, yeah. <laughs> we're visiting with uh, Sloan Martin here. Uh, Sloan, I want to take a step back just in case anybody doesn't know, because um, you and I have gotten to to work together or really, I mean, you've you've helped us out at, at my day job, which is uh, at a news radio station in uh, in Dallas. And you obviously work at, at a news station um, there in Minneapolis. You, for better or for worse, have been at the forefront of covering um, the George Floyd events front to back. I just want to give you kind of an open-ended start to this. What has that been like for you? And you've obviously just leapt into it and, and really taken a hold of it. What has that been like for you over this uh, over this past year? And, and how have you grown as a broadcaster through it? It's a really great question because it has been a year-long process of telling the story of a historical moment just as truthfully as possible. So being able to talk to people, to truly listen about the concerns, about the thoughts, and about the opinions of people who are in our own community. And I think that's been particularly important here, too, is because a lot of people outside the Twin Cities think they know what the story is, think they know what's happening here, think they know about what's happening with the city council and the mayor and about efforts to, um, you know, quote unquote, defund the police department and a lot of these things that become lightning rod issues in national media. But I'm here and I'm on the ground. And that's a really special privilege to have because that means I'm that much more responsible for telling these stories from people who live alongside us shoulder to shoulder in the same community. So certainly um, I think you know, talking about growing as a broadcaster, I've done a lot of work for CBS National Radio. Uh, certainly I have, I feel like I've made kind of like casual uh, internet friends with uh, folks at your station just because I have been on there quite a bit uh, on the news talk side. And I think it really has been about reinforcing what our role is as journalists. And I think this is such an important conversation to have now about media literacy, about access, about um, the role of media media in our society and even in our democracy to get big here on the, the basketball broadcast, John. But uh, that is what it has really reinforced for me, the role of us as listeners and then reporting what we hear from the community. So certainly I could list off uh, a lot of historic events I've been at, including standing outside with thousands of people as the verdict uh, of Derek Chauvin's murder trial was read and, and seeing that reaction, a lot of moments 
that really stick out, especially as I think of what my days were like personally exactly one year from now, these beginning days of June and how difficult that was for our community, really something to reflect about what our role is, and I think the importance of journalism and local journalism. Were there times where it was exhausting? Because it felt, it seemed like you were working all the time, late into the night, especially those early days of the protests and, and things like that. And and it seems like it would be a confusing time as well, right after George Floyd was murdered, and then things really started ramping up there. That's exactly right. And I say this with the caveat, too, that I haven't talked about this a a whole lot, just because I think the focus very much should be on our community and what is happening here and about the legacy of George Floyd and kind of this continuing story that is our jobs to tell. But yes, it was, you know, a lot of long days, sometimes working from, you know, 3 p.m. to 3 a.m., being out. um, I mean, I was out at protests. I was there when things devolved into rioting, um, being hit with tear gas, uh, really being able, like difficult to breathe because of the smoke that's in the air, but still trying to do that job as safely as possible and listening to what people are saying and reporting on that as too. Uh, you know, one thing that really stuck with me is uh, several months later, you know, sometimes people ask about the reaction about, because this is another thing, you know, when you see it through the lens of national media. You see buildings that are on fire. You see the destruction. And I remember this one quote a woman told me where she said it was basically like a pressure cooker. And at one point, it was going to burst. And that's how it showed itself. And that has really stuck with me and really trying to encapsulate what we saw in terms of uh, the chaos that ensued. And certainly it hurt a lot of people, a lot of small businesses and communities. But it helps put into context also what was happening and what that anger and mourning felt like and how it manifested in this form. So seeing that in person with my own eyes deep into the morning, night after night. I still think about the times where there were boarded up buildings. Uh, there was one uh, near the, not the third precinct, the one was that was taken by protesters, but it was near the fourth precinct, I believe, where um, there was just uh, a business at the corner. It was boarded up and someone wrote in graffiti, children live upstairs as a deterrent to not have it be burned down. And that was absolutely chilling to me as well. So it is difficult to think about what this was one year from now, about how uh, difficult it was to see the community react this way, to see the pain and the anguish that so many people for different reasons were experiencing all at one time while also having a worldwide pandemic uh, happening simultaneously. So that's what I think about when I kind of look back at what was going on a a year from now. And this continues now with, uh, you know, the the litigation process is continuing. We have a federal trial uh, that's already in the process of happening. And then the three other officers going to go on trial for aiding and abetting murder that happening in the spring. Yeah, it's not done. Absolutely. The legal process isn't and won't be for years and years, I'm sure. But what are the positive things that you want to point out because you are there going on in the Twin Cities right now that you want the world to know about? I think that's, I appreciate that question because like I said, I think a lot of people have misunderstood or have not gotten the full story of what things are like here in the Twin Cities. And I think one of the things that has stood out to me is the commitment to each other, the commitment to 
kindness and community that has been on display. I mean, after there were the devastation from the unrest and the riots, there were people out the very next day to power wash, you know, out there with their power washers. They were there to bring supplies to people who couldn't go to their grocery store. There were people who were there to clean, to clean up. And you saw that each and every single day while people, you know, were spending hours outside marching and chanting and raising their fists. And if they didn't participate, you know, late into the morning, they were back out there the next day to try and clean up and to make things better for our community. Seeing the conversation that has happened, I think, you know, wide open in public and respectfully at the same time, we're seeing a schism here at the moment between some members of the city council aligned with the mayor, wanting to support more funding, more staffing for the Minneapolis Police Department and a very public schism between the council members that do not to, yes, they, there was that big press conference at Powderhorn Park that people will point to where they said we are going to defund the Minneapolis police. No such effort has happened. The the uh, city council members who have been kind of in that camp have proposed, yes, dismantling the city council per the city charter, creating a new public safety department that does include law enforcement, but other trained professionals to respond to incidents such as social workers or mental health uh, um, doctors, for example, because of how many crimes of poverty or mental health crises are called to police because they are uh, asked to answer for so many problems and so many different kinds of calls. So listening to what people's concerns are throughout that ongoing conversation, the people who are afraid, who want to have that strong police presence because they see, like many other cities, Minneapolis uh, also experiencing a crime wave that we have seen throughout this pandemic too, an increase in gun violence. We're not immune from that in this city, but also those who say there has to be some kind of change. And really, this is also part of what is continuing here. It's not just the legal process, John. It is also about what is going to be that tangible change. Things have been held up in the excuse me, the Minnesota State Capitol in St. Paul. We are one of three or four, can't remember off the top of my head, states that have split representation, a split legislature between Democrats and Republicans. That's a really rare thing to find. And a lot of police reform bills have stalled in the Republican-controlled Senate here at the Minnesota Capitol. And the same thing has happened even at the city council level. So it's continuing to follow what people are calling for, what people in the community feel most comfortable with. And while I think there are a lot of divergent opinions, a wide spectrum for how people view public safety now and in the future, I think that there have been a lot of very important conversations that need to be heard. Uh, just a great recap of everything that's gone on. Yeah, sorry, Sloan. John. The, the news reporter in me comes out sometimes. Oh, so no, 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 no. That is, uh, <laughs> no, that, that's exactly what podcasts are all about, uh, getting as much info out there as possible, and uh, people can consume it how they choose. But uh, it's a reason why you're one of the most respected uh, broadcasters in the industry. Obviously, your influence Thank is growing, you. and I'm really excited for what's to come for you whatever's around the corner so thank you so much for spending some time with us today i'm glad we were able to kind of get both sides of you the sportsy side and the newsy <laughs> side and uh we wish you the very best a as you continue on in this slump well much appreciated john and uh, thanks again that's sloan martin good friend of mine here on the her hoop stats podcast i appreciate her time so much and i appreciate you listening as well this week stay tuned this week for more unplugged podcasts and courtside podcasts as we really get into the thick of the wnba season it 
feels like uh, we're starting to gain that momentum. Uh, of course, uh, you know, let's uh, hold on to it for the next month and a half before uh, the uh, break for the Olympics. But uh, really feels like we're starting to get a feel of what this year is going to be all about. So expect some more podcasts uh, coming up this week that's going to help you uh, stay in tune with what is going on in the WNBA and more. The announcer on the Her Hoop Stats podcast is Susie Solis. Our music by Jared Deck, jareddeckmusic.com. And, of course, the executive producer is Aaron Barzilai. I'm John Little reminding you, at the Her Hoop Stats podcast, we're unlocking better insight about the women's game. Her Hoop Stats. Her Hoop Stats.